This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. Yeah, he is a locker room divider. He can be a problem. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. I don't know why I still do this or if it really provides the value I think it does, but usually around the 4th of July, I grab the new Phil Steele College Football Preview magazine, and it really starts to feel like football season. I don't know why everybody feels the need to get the magazine and then post on social media, hey, I got this magazine, as if you can't find a lot of that info on social media. Now, I don't want to dog Phil Steele because he does work really hard and there is a lot of good information in there, but there's a lot of stuff in there that nobody's really reading and it's just filling up space. But we are essentially two months away from football season and the hype train, it is building for the Tar Heels. Case in point, at 14-1, to Sam Howe has the fifth or sixth best odds to win the Heisman Trophy this year. That hype, it's very real, but it, to me, still feels like it's too much too soon. Howell's a terrific player. Don't get me wrong here. I think he's a first-round draft pick in, uh, in next year's draft. But I don't think he's going to go number one overall. It could still be a compliment to say you're a first overall pick, or a first-round pick, excuse me, and not say you're going to go first overall. You see what I'm saying? He might be a first-team All-ACC quarterback. He might be. But I don't see Seven as a Heisman frontrunner, and here's why. North Carolina is hoping to take a big step this year. Outside of Clemson, they're getting the second-most attention I think of anybody in this conference. I don't even think it's really close. And you have some saying, you're going to be a preseason top 10 team. You could be a playoff buster. And I just don't think North Carolina's there yet. I think they're going in the right direction. But this, it's already been an amazing rebuild by Mac Brown. He's got the recruiting where he wants it. You had a winning year in year one. Last year, you're playing in a New Year's Six Bowl against Texas A&M, and that's a competitive game despite everybody you lost before that bowl game. And now, you're expected to take another step, mostly because you've got the quarterback who might be a Heisman contender. I think if Howe were to win the Heisman, it'd probably have to be a Lamar Jackson-like season. Not a playoff team but the numbers were so undeniable you couldn't give it to anybody else. And if you go back to that Heisman campaign or that Heisman season, Deshaun Watson won the national title that year. He was awesome. Lamar Jackson got the award, and I didn't have any issue with it then. It's possible for Howe to do that this year, just unlikely. I don't think North Carolina is going to be a top 10 team. I think they're going to be really good. Eight, nine wins, I I just don't see them as a playoff buster. The schedule, it's really difficult. I don't see them beating Clemson if they meet in the ACC championship game. 
I think they could have problems on the road in a short week at Pittsburgh in the final month and at NC State again on a short week the day after Thanksgiving. And even the opening game. If they lose game one, all this hype, all the air that's in the balloon, zoop, all the air zips out. All of it. Sam Howe lost four weapons to the NFL. And this isn't four of his receivers slash running backs graduated. No. Diami Brown, a legitimate late second, early third round pick. Javante Williams, one of the first picks of the second round. Michael Carter to the Jets. Who did you say Daz Newsom was drafted by? Uh, the football team. He is a part of the football team. Those are four legit weapons. Now, if you're a Tar Heel fan hearing my voice saying I'm a hater right now, just ask yourself this question. Do you believe after just two years, the recruiting's good for Mac, but after just two years, North Carolina's in the place as a program to just reload at skill positions and replace NFL players year after year? In college and in the pros, a very rare quarterback is the quarterback where it doesn't matter what talent is around him. You need to be a generational talent to be that. You need to be Trevor or Andrew Luck or John Elway. One of those types of quarterbacks. Trevor, he lost Justin Ross, who didn't play last year. He lost T. Higgins, and it didn't matter. For 95% of the quarterbacks out there, it will. It does. The success of their careers in the league, it's going to be dependent on the situation they go into. What I'm saying is, Sam Howe could be great, and he does have good talent around him, just not as good as he had last year. And I don't know yet if he's the type of quarterback who could just simply elevate Bo Corrales into the same amount of productivity that Diami Brown had a year ago. And the same for Ty Chandler in the backfield replacing Javante Williams and Michael Carter and Emory Simmons. And you fill in the blank. I, I don't know that about Sam. I'd venture to say no. I'd venture to say North Carolina's not Oklahoma yet. That literally can just cycle a Blitnikoff winner out of the program. By the way, Robert, did you know I was a Blitnikoff voter? Yes, we did. Oh, I was asking Robert, not you, Cole. I was going to ask you next. But um, they lost D.D. Westbrook and still had C.D. Lamb in place. And still had Marquise Hollywood Brown in place. That's what Oklahoma is. And there are very few programs like that. I don't know if North Carolina is there. So the productivity, even if he keeps it at the same level it was a year ago, I think that would be an achievement. But I don't know if that's winning the Heisman Trophy. There are other quarterbacks that check more boxes than Sam does. Spencer Rattler. It's easy to dislike the guy because he is playing at Oklahoma and he wasn't very likable in the QB1 series on Netflix. But after those first couple games, when they lost to Kansas State and Iowa State, he was unbelievable. Look where Oklahoma finished last year. And he's got weapons back, man. And he's got Lincoln Riley. With all due respect to Phil Longo, he's not Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley turns out Bolitnikoff and Heisman Trophy winners on the reg. Kadon Slovis, kind of like North Carolina, at USC, they're 
trying to buy to be a top 10 team that uh, next year. They almost won the Pac-12 title if they didn't blow a lead. USC in Los Angeles. That's a pretty big story. His numbers have been stupid. JT Daniels has great weapons. Best one-two punch in the backfield in America. George Pickens is a top five, top 10 wide receiver in the country. And I'd venture to say, in last year's quarterback class, either the number one or number two prospects are going to break out and become a Heisman candidate just off team success alone. Those quarterbacks, Bryce Young at Bama, who's taking over for Mac Jones, and the second best prospect was DJ Uyunglele, DJ Cinco for Clemson, who we already saw how much talent he has on the road at Notre Dame. One of those two, just by team success, could be a better candidate for the Heisman Trophy. And all we're talking about right now are quarterbacks. Let's not forget that a wide receiver won the award for the first time in 30 years last year. It's not an insult to Sam Howe to say, you're a first-round pick. You're a terrific quarterback, the best deep ball thrower I've seen in the ACC, and that's including Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, whoever else you want to throw in the discussion. It's not an insult to say, you're going to have a great year. You could be first-team All-ACC, but not necessarily a Heisman winner. Before we get to unusual questions, I want to talk about Shohei Otani, who is just a remarkable story in Major League Baseball. So we'll do that. And in unusual questions, among the things we'll address, tabloids, groomsmen. Do you have a topic, Robert, to tease that we're going to get to in unusual questions today? Uh, weather. And weather. Send us in your unusual questions at 336-777-1600 on Twitter at WSJS Sports. We'll get into baseball and weather, I guess, next on The Drive. The great Larry Brown's in the news today, but let's put a pin in that for just a short period of time because right now, Tom Habistro joins us. Tom's now working with Dan Lebetard and Metal Arc Media. He's got a pod breaking down things on Giannis's free throw shooting that I'm going to devour when that drops. Uh, it might already be dropped, but I'll have to check that out when I get a moment here. Nobody breaks down the numbers better in the NBA than Tom does, but let's actually start here, and the time's always appreciated. You were in school at Wake Forest right around the time Chris Paul was here. Because of your college experiences watching him, how much have you caught yourself rooting for Chris at this stage of the playoffs? Oh, man. Um, well, thanks for having me on, first of all. Um, it's always good to be back on in, in the Dash and Winston-Salem. and uh, had some of my favorite moments of my life there and met my wife there. And so uh, always great to be on with, with uh, the crew. And Chris Paul, man, it was such a heartbreaker to see that he was going to be out with COVID protocols uh, for the first couple games of that series because I just knew how much this meant to him, knowing how – he had fallen short um, in college of, of getting to the Final Four and, and throughout the NBA, his NBA career. This guy has more All-NBA teams and more All-Star appearances and more uh, playoff scoring than anybody in NBA history to not make it to the NBA Finals. And so, uh, of course, 
as 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 a demon deacon myself, I'd like to see him be successful and get to the finals and have a shot at winning a title because I, I think he goes down as uh, a top five point guard already. I've seen a lot of people talk about um, if he wins the if he gets the to the finals and wins the championship that he will secure a spot as a top five point guard of all time. But I don't really believe in that stuff. I don't believe that a guy, one of your teammates making a three-pointer or missing a defensive assignment and blowing a series really has any impact on your uh, your standing as an all-time great. I just don't believe in the, the whole idea that rings are the only thing that can validate you and your spot in history. It certainly helps, but um, I think Chris Paul is top five point guard of all time. Um, he's incredibly, incredibly efficient, uh, takes care of the ball, and I think watching him play in the playoffs here while a bunch of other stars are, are out, it just shows that a 36-year-old Chris Paul still um, at the top of his game, it's been really impressive to see. If you're making the argument based on the numbers that Chris is a top-five point guard, I know you referenced efficiency and a few other things there, what stat are you wielding and bringing to the conversation? What's something that just blows you away? Yeah, well, I think it's player efficiency rating, PER. Um, you know, you can look that up on Basketball Reference. It was John Hollinger's metric, all-in-one metric. Um, and he's top 10 of all time in NBA history in player efficiency rating. So that basically bottles up your your box score statistics and puts it into an all-in-one metric. Um, and player efficiency rating pegs him as number nine in NBA history. Um, and, like, that's insane. I mean, that's an incredible testament to his ability to play basketball. Um, and I think one of the things that people underrate Chris Paul and his ability to uh, lead teams is he doesn't turn the ball over. And that's not something that will, you know, it's not a triple-double stat. It's not something like 30 points a game. But it's something that absolutely impacts winning just about as well as anything is that he takes care of the ball. He gets people good shots, high-quality shots. And he doesn't give up the ball and give up fast break opportunities to his team, uh, to the opponent. And I think that's just something that goes underrated in his career. So his career number for PER is 24.9. And that's, believe it or not, even higher than a former Demon Deacon himself, Tim Duncan. So they are, they are incredibly productive NBA players. Very proud to be a Wake Forest Demon Deacon. And it is crazy to think that Chris Paul, as good as Tim Duncan was in the NBA, his individual numbers, his efficiency numbers are even better than the big fundamental. Don't let the logic and the numbers from Tom Habistro fool you. He is a rabid Wake Forest fan. He's mixing it up on social media this week when the ACC Big Ten Challenge announcement was put out that it's going to be Wake Forest <laughs> facing Northwestern. You're getting Daryl Morey involved in this and Rachel Nichols. I even texted Wilbon. Wilbon says he wants to make it out to the Joel can we expect to see you later this year? I would love to attend. I'd love to be a part of it. Um, I just don't know how we can really the, – the, the media core from Wake Forest, I just don't know how we're going to compete with Northwestern. I mean, the fact they got J.A. Donde and Mike Wilbon and Mike Greenberg. Um, they have Rachel Nichols and, of course, Daryl Morey. Who it's you and Benetti. Is, what's that? It's you and Benetti and maybe Evan Lepler. That's it. It's you I three. Know. I feel like I feel like Jon Snow at the Battle of the Bastards, like watching you know in Game of Thrones, just wielding this sword against this giant army. So I um, I'm I'm excited for it. You know, Northwestern to me 
feels a lot like Wake, where it's a smaller school, uh, great academics, and an athletic scene that has been really coming on lately. And I really hope that uh, Daryl Morey making a crack at at Wake Forest basketball just seems so backwards to me, is the idea that Wake Forest basketball isn't seen as a challenge, according to Daryl Morey. So we'll see. But, um, yeah, we... We've got our hands full here, but uh, I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to, uh, to to getting back to the Joel sometime soon. And I had Steve Forbes on the Haber Show podcast last summer uh, talking with him. He's he's great. And if he wants a media career, he'll be fantastic at that, too. But we need to keep him as a coach and, uh, and win some ball games uh, here in the upcoming season. I will say this, though. Um, I can't do this interview without mentioning – we got Jeff Teague in the NBA Conference Finals here, too. And without <laughs> yeah, Charles playing, Barkley thought he played for Atlanta last night. Hey, man, I, I'm, I'm, I, I love it. I love that he's getting the spotlight. And uh, Jeff Teague, of course, even before he came to the Milwaukee Bucks, he wasn't an Atlanta uh, Hawk. He was there in Boston. So it's just amazing. Um, my, my favorite running, I don't know if you call it a gag or a bit, but uh, I always love – uh, pumping up Ish Smith on Twitter because I've never met someone in the NBA more beloved by coaches and executives than Ish Smith. I'm telling you, nobody, teammates, coaches, executives. I mean, he's like Mother Teresa. His Q rating is off the chart. He he is so beloved among NBA circles, Ish Smith, and he hops from team to team, and everybody seems to have an Ish Smith story. My favorite is that Ish Smith, before every game in the NBA, before every game, he watches an episode of Everybody Loves Raymond. What? Yep. (laughs) Tom Abistro with us here. Last thing for you. What do you consider the high point from your time watching Wake Forest as a student? Because Daryl Morey, he takes those shots like it's not a big deal for Northwestern to beat Wake. Since you're throwing a bunch of numbers around, the one that I can't get past is that only three schools between 1990 and 2009 have more ACC wins than Wake Forest, that being Duke, North Carolina, and Maryland. So eh, Wake Forest, eh, not hey, to be Maryland slept over. more than us? Crazy to think. I guess that national title helped in 2002. Oh, that's true. That's true. Well, I think the, the biggest one that I, I can always remember is camping out. I, I was the big spoon to my buddy Pete, uh, camping out and outside of the Joel in the parking lot overnight. It was freezing out. I remember. Um, I think it was like a, it was like a January day, 2005. Um, that was the year I believe UNC went on to win the title and, and Chris Paul and the Deeks won 95 82. Uh, just an amazing game um, there against the Tar Heels that went on to win the championship. And it was just, you know, we we, we keep thinking about, um, you know, the, the highs of the Wake Forest program. And everyone I talk to, they're like, yeah, what happened to Wake Forest basketball? And I say, you know what happened? Skip Prosser happened. If you, if you point to your coach passing away tragically at, at the peak of his powers in the ACC, I don't know how many schools can come back from that, much less one with that small of a school at Wake Forest in that conference. Uh, it's just an unspeakable tragedy from a from a personal standpoint and from a uh, a program standpoint. And you were on campus when that happened, right? Like I talked to Steve Shutt, who was the head PR person for like a dozen years. His first day on the job as the head PR person for Wake Athletics, Skip Prosser died in his office. But as a student. I can only imagine, as a big sports fan as you are, when that news happens, goodness. 
Yeah. And, and the thing was, is that, um, when, when you have someone like that, who's able to recruit coach and lead a small school like wake going up against coach K and Roy Williams and the rest of the, the giants in our, in our, uh, college hoop scene. Um, it's just, it was devastating. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it was such a loss for, for the school too, is because, you know, for so much, of the good things that happened at Wake Forest, Skip Prosser was behind a lot of it. And so he was just such a good uh, face of the program. Um, and it, it was such a, such a devastating loss. And I'll never forget just getting that uh, phone call from a buddy while, you know, while it's just, we're just spending a regular day on campus and finding out that the coach of the basketball team passed away. It was, it was just devastating. And so, you know, I I, um, I know people realize, like they remember that happening, but it, it really did set back the whole Wake Forest community and the fact that you know I think we're we're on the right path here with Steve Forbes, but that to me is the number one reason why um, you know we've had some tough years here is that we just haven't fully gotten back from that devastating tragedy. So um, shouts to shouts to Skip Prosser, and I know that his his tree is very strong in college hoops, and I really hope that one day we will be able to get um, someone from his tree, literally from his family, uh, you know, a part of the Wake Forest, um, you know, legacy going forward. I'm really excited for that one day when that happens. And I really think that Wake Forest basketball will be back. It's just going to take us a little time. Tom Habistro, best of luck with the Haber Show podcast. We'll be sure to listen to that. Hope to see you at a football game or a basketball game later on this year. I'll make sure to save a plate uh, of wings at putters for you when you drop by. Yeah, give me some soft chips. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, <laughs> putters, I got to get back. Thanks for having me on the show, Jeff. Yeah, that is Tom Habistro. Appreciate the time from him as always. As promised, Larry Brown has another gig. Continuing what I believe to be the most fascinating coaching career in basketball history. I'll show the details of that next on The Drive. And now, The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Dennis Dodd just tweeted out that he's hearing a Power 5 starting quarterback is going to announce a national deal. This is the first week of NIL. It starts tomorrow. An endorsement, an apparel deal, a commercial. Well, North Carolina has one of those top Power 5 quarterbacks. I'm trying to think how many have a bigger platform more notoriety than Sam Howell does. It's essentially him or Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma, considering he was on the QB1 series. Aside from those two, maybe DJ Cinco, as they call him at Clemson, DJ Uyunglele. Bryce Young's going to his first year at Alabama. I don't know. Adam Gold's now joining us. He'll tell us what's for dinner in just a bit. AG, when you if you were the marketing advisor... For one, Sam Howe, what are some endorsement opportunities you would seek out? What would be a good fit for QB1 for uh, North Carolina? Whoever was willing to pay me. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, seriously, I don't think... Uh, I don't well, think I'm assuming he has options, any. though. I assume he has options, oh, so you're the marketing manager that has to figure out what's best. Again, I just, I, like, 
people are like I think people are throwing worst case scenarios out about drug companies and uh, you know X rated you know pornography sites. I'm like, I, why 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 do we do that? Like, yeah, the same the same companies that would pay a Tom Brady, and I'm not equating these two, but the same companies that would find the value in hiring. Uh, you know, a professional athlete will do the same for a college athlete. Uh, it'll be a lot less money um, because there really isn't. There are very few college athletes with national notoriety. Uh, but I mean, I, I've, I've been saying this for a long time. I think the biggest value will be found locally, and so you know, and and it won't it won't just it won't have to be the the quarterback or the or the starting point guard. I just think the biggest, it's just anybody that wears, you know, the Carolina color is going to have value locally. But I, I'm, I'm sure there'll be some big deals. I've got it for Sam. I figured it out. You remember those Jake the Loam Bojangles commercials? He doesn't even eat Bojangles anymore, right? I don't think he does, even though... He is a Cajun guy. Figures he would love the Cajun chicken sandwich or something like that. He had those great ads where he would be riding around with Steve Smith as if it was yeah. a Dukes of Hazard episode. How about that? But instead, it's Sam Howell and Daz Newsom trying to get away from Mac Brown, who's the sheriff. Or how about Sam Howell doing like a Harry's Razor ad since wow. he's got a permanent beard? Yeah. See, I think we're on to something here. Adam Gold, you can listen to him noon to three right here on WSJS Sports. What I love about baseball and stats, if you go back far enough, there is usually a parallel for something happening today. You could even go back to like the 40s, the 30s, even in the 1800s in some cases. I'm struggling to find a historical reference point for what we're seeing with Shohei Atani, who leads Major League Baseball in home runs and tonight will be on the mound at Yankee Stadium. Is there anything that comes to mind first when you're trying to think what Shohei represents from a historical standpoint? I mean, it's it's Ruth is what is really what it is. Ruth was a great pitcher, uh, and the Yankees made him a hitter after they bought him from... Boston. So, but it was, it, that's what it is. It's Ruthian. Now, there have been very good hitting pitchers in the day. You know, uh, I think Wes Farrell had, you know, I don't know, 10 home runs one year as a pitcher. Um, you know, Tim Lawler, who pitched for the Yankees and the Padres, was a good hitter. I remember Micah Owing, who pitched for the Diamondbacks. Uh, I watched him with USA Baseball. Your friend Darren Vaughn does USA Baseball games. Um, you know, this was before his time, but I watched Micah Owings uh, essentially be a two-way star, uh, offensively and defensively. So, uh, but at the big league level, we haven't seen it in nearly a century uh, because one or the other has been too important. And it's just awesome. I saw somebody tweet out, I forget who it was, one of the baseball writers, wants Kevin Cash to have 
Otani lead off as the DH, or the pitcher, doesn't really matter, lead off against Jacob DeGrom. So you would have Otani not only pitch in the game, start the game, but also uh, bat against the best pitcher in the, in the game. Uh, and my argument was I'd like to see DeGrom, a 400 hitter, also lead off. That would be great. And I love when you talk to old pitchers, they'll tell you that they could rake if they were given the opportunity. In fact, when my dad was recovering, when my dad was recovering last month, he got a phone call from Jim Palmer. And Jim Palmer, one of the things he told him was, because he knew my dad played baseball at Towson State, Billy Hunter used to be like a third base coach for the Orioles in the 60s. Uh, he, he told him, man, I used to hit baseballs uh, at Old Memorial Stadium out in left field every single time batting practice. You know it. And that's just that's just not uncommon. You know, you talk to guys, and all the pitchers felt like they could rake, but we don't all, really see modern-day examples. Huh? But they all used to hit. I mean, it always... You know, before the DH, all the pitchers had to hit. <laughs> they all weren't bad hitters. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, like, but, that, but that's just true. They all weren't bad hitters. Yeah. Uh, they became bad hitters because they just, they, it, it stopped being, you know, really part of the game. Um, and then once the DH came in, uh, they stopped being bad at everything with a bat. Now, uh, even in the National League, uh, even if you're so inclined, uh, pitchers aren't even good bunters anymore. Adam Gold, what's for dinner tonight? Uh, we are going to do meatball subs. What? Whoa! I hear it. Yeah. It sounds like there's an objection to meatball subs. Yeah, it's fine. It doesn't really matter if there's an objection or I not. There was yeah, we're gonna do meatball subs. See, I'm going Italian as well. Uh, I, I'm, I'm trying an Italian restaurant in Winston-Salem that's been recommended to me several times that I hadn't been out to yet. So I'm probably going to go chicken parm. When I'm trying out a new Italian restaurant, I, I'm, I'm, I'm usually going safe. I'm going to get some chicken parm, some pasta. That's that's the move for me. There's nothing wrong with chicken parm. Very underrated, very useful, very durable. Chicken parm is really good, Josh. That's right. There you go. I, I got uh, both of them on the same page. How about that? Robert Walsh, what is, <laughs> what's for dinner, Robert Walsh? I'll be hitting the road tonight, so probably something quick. Probably like a Chick-fil-A, maybe if I feel like treating myself, maybe a Five Guys. Woo! Five Guys? That's high-quality burgers. Five guys had a, had, if Five Guys had a drive-thru, I would go more. That's a great point. If I five always guys just call it in. A, it's, so, it's so quick if you call it in, then you don't have to sit in there and eat all the peanuts in their lobby. It doesn't matter. If, unless they're bringing it out to my car, I don't want it. I thought if, if I'm going if I'm going that level, if you don't have a drive-through, I'm not going. While we're on the subject, I of drive-throughs, why isn't there other than Zaxby's a place that you can get buffalo wings through a drive-through? Why is there nowhere? Like if I'm Zaxby's, that's all I'm saying in every single ad. There's nobody else that does this but us. It feels like somebody else should take some of that real estate. Uh, Carolina Alehouse should have a drive-thru. There you go. Intern Cole, what's for dinner? Uh, I don't know what I'm going to have yet. Uh, I think my roommate's going to be home, so he might cook something up um, on my way home. Very well done. I might not be cooking anything today. There's there's no answer there. That's a no answer and complete. Yeah. It's going to come out of a box. That's all we know. 
Adam Gold, you guys enjoy your stroll, both of you. And we'll uh, talk to you in a couple weeks. I'm taking vacation next week, so a couple weeks we'll chat. All right. Well, I'll, I'll be around. There you go. That's AG. He's on Twitter at AGoldFan. Listen to the Adam Gold Show, noon to 3 on WSJS Sports. I was listening to a podcast earlier today, Robert, talking about movie theaters opening back up. Like this Fast and Furious movie did apparently $70 million at the box office over the weekend, which for summer blockbuster standards, pre-pandemic, not awesome, but for post-pandemic and people are still getting back into the flow of things and some movie theaters have restrictions still across the country, that's a pretty big number. Some believe that because sporting events are coming back to normal, and I think we're going to get 100% back to normal with sports. Got to watch it live. Got to be there in person. That that's going to be the same deal for movie theaters. But have you been following what Disney Plus and HBO Max and all these others have been doing that are partnered with these studios and have been putting these movies that were set to release at theaters available on streaming devices? Yeah, but Disney Plus is uh, actually getting more money out of you if you want to do that. So you'd have to buy like Disney Plus Plus or something like that to get it. But I think there's still movies that are like only seen in theaters. Right. Fast and Furious is the exception. That is one that you can only get in theaters. But the argument from a business perspective is it seems that many of these companies take like Space Jam next month. Uh, next month, or I guess this month as of tomorrow, we're a couple weeks away from its release. They're going to drop it on HBO Max because it's a Warner Brothers property, so a Viacom property, and they see just as much, they actually see more value in people wanting to subscribe to their service than wanting to go to the movie theater anymore. And why wouldn't they? They don't have any game in the AMC. They don't have anything in the brick-and-mortar exactly. movie theater, so why wouldn't they do that? But if that is the thinking for everybody, hey... If we put this on Disney Plus rather than putting it in a movie theater, we want people to pay for our service rather than having the movie theater be the middleman and that's how we make our money. What does that mean long term for the movie theater industry? Is it just going to be some superhero summer blockbusters that get shown and maybe some old time classics or... Is there going to be a place for indie movies and movies that otherwise you're, you you could just get on a streaming device? Well, I, I don't know what you necessarily mean by indie movies because like they they'd be happy to be shown anywhere, right? I mean, and there's YouTube, so right. like it just I don't seems know like about they a brick get and mortar place that you would actually go to. No, maybe not. They but. just want to get a theatrical run. They'd just be on Netflix now. They'd just be on Amazon or YouTube. I mean, they can already do that too. If that were the case in that extreme example over the next five or six years, would that bum you out? No, I mean, would it bum you out that newspapers are shutting down everywhere? It's just the way the world changes. Yeah, it, it does bum me out, actually. But um, you're right. I do feel like there's a way that you can look at that big number for Fast and Furious and think, oh, well, <laughs> things are just going to go back to normal for the movie industry. And I, I don't know about that one. And I think it's more to do with the streaming services, and what the companies value more than anything else. But this past weekend, I did go to the movies, and I watched a movie I could have streamed on HBO Max and In the Heights, called In the Heights with uh, the Manuel Miranda. And I enjoyed it. And there's just something about being in the movie theater where there are no distractions and you 
have an excuse to get the big popcorn and the candy. It's just something special about it, and I hope it's not something we lose. Up next, word to Chris Paul. It's now or never for you. Keep it here on The Drive. Although his mind is still as sharp as ever, he occasionally has trouble seeing small print and needs the assistance of a handheld ferret to read letters. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. As somebody who likes seeing good things happen for Wake fans, I'm really hoping Chris Paul wins tonight. Because imagine this. Phoenix loses game six at Staples Center, 9 o'clock tip tonight. Imagine what the zoo of media coverage will be leading up to that game seven two nights from now. Chris, he might be able to handle that. But his track record would say differently. And aside from him, that seems like a heck of a lot of pressure to put on such a young team. This feels like Chris's year to win it. We've said that for a while. This feels like Chris's finals run. And tonight feels like a game he needs to win in order to get there. Out of the four teams left standing, Phoenix is the only one without a devastating injury. Albeit, we learned recently from Woj, also Zach Lowe on the reporting, that there's no ligament damage to Giannis, who last night had that hyperextension to his left knee. That's good news, but there's no timetable on his return. If he doesn't play tomorrow in Game 5, with that series tied at two games apiece, he will become the 10th All-Star in these playoffs to miss a game, to miss a game in this postseason. The previous record was six All-Stars. That stat brought to to us by Tom Habistro, a Wake Forest alum who's going to be a guest on today's show, who is a guest on today's show. Chris Paul, he's been banged up, had that hamstring deal in the Lakers series, missed the first couple games of this series due to COVID protocols, apparently tested positive, had some symptoms as well, but they were not so strong because he had already been vaccinated. Cameron Payne hasn't really looked himself since game two where he went off while Chris was out. That's not a small deal. I'm not trying to pretend it is. Devin Booker adjusting while playing with the mask and then without the mask still doesn't look like the same guy he was. A prolific scorer. While those are noteworthy nicks and bruises, they're manageable injuries. Those players are still able to play. When you compare it to the rest of the teams left standing, it's night and day. Kawhi hasn't played the last seven playoff games. Trey Young is one of the toughest guards you're going to find, at least among the little dudes. And we saw that when he was on the road in a closeout situation in New York City. We saw how he was able to forget the first three quarters of Game 7 against Philly on the road and close things out by hitting clutch free throws. He wasn't able to play last night. And that is such a massive red flag. It leads me to believe he's probably going to miss multiple games. With a foot? When you're talking about mobility for a player like Trey Young, that's such a big deal. And the fact that he didn't go last night when he's as tough as he is and the game's as important as it was. 
that's that's literally too big to be underscored or to be overstated, I should say. Giannis, this hyperextension, we'll see how severe it is. But even though Phoenix has caught all these breaks and Chris Paul has benefited from AD being hurt in round one and here in the conference finals, Kawhi not playing and might even benefit in the NBA finals if Phoenix were to win tonight, nobody's going to knock Chris's path to a title. I don't know if any other team holding the trophy can say that. The way that will be treated and covered, Phoenix will be treated as a deserving champ. And I think a big part of that is how beloved Chris Paul is. He's beloved. That plays a difference. It plays a role in this. Plus, it feels like basketball justice being done based on all the bad luck Chris has had his entire career up until this point. So it feels like Chris is here to win because they're not ravaged with injuries to the point where guys are unable to play. If they win, nobody's going to knock them. It will be celebrated. They will give Chris Paul his coronation moment as one of the best point guards to ever play the game. But it also needs to be this year because I don't think he gets another opportunity if he doesn't. This is his shot. We're seeing it in real time. Golden State, they're going to be back. I'm not worried about Klay Thompson for the same reason I wasn't that worried about Kevin Durant when he had the Achilles. We saw what Brooklyn's been this year. Golden State's going to be back with Steph and Clay and Draymond, and they have the draft capital, and they have Wiseman, and they have Wiggins, the ability to make a trade to land another star there. And I'm confident Bob Myers is going to do that. Also in the West, LeBron and AD aren't going away. This was a really short offseason, which I think coupled with the condensed regular season led to the Lakers breaking down a bit. Now that they're getting extended rest, regular rest before a start of a year, that's going to be one of the front runners. Brooklyn's probably going to be the favorite altogether in the NBA. They are probably not going to get another opportunity. This is Chris's shot to get that elusive title. Don't let it go to seven, though. Because if it does, I have no idea what happens at that point. And you probably don't either. Take care of business tonight. Game six in LA, facing a team that you're the greatest player who's ever wore their uniform. Tonight's the night for Chris Paul to advance to the NBA Finals. While we're talking about the NBA... These playoffs, to me, have been a reminder that parity in sports is overrated. Greatness, on the other hand, always delivers. Perhaps I'm strange in this way, but I've always enjoyed watching the dominant teams. The front runners, they're the most talented teams generally, and I like watching sports done well. I like seeing people in any creative forum. I like seeing... Talented people display their talent. And whoever's the best at that, that's what I want to see. So Alabama football. I can't stop watching what Saban does every year. I I appreciate it so much and the standard he holds his players to, 
even when they're up three or four touchdowns. I'm not the one that's tuning out of a Bama game when it's a three or four touchdown deficit in the second half. I might be strange for that. But it goes back to parity in sports being overrated. I hear it with UConn women's basketball. I I covered women's hoops for a little while. There was nothing I've ever seen in sports, and this includes football and men's basketball. Maybe Zion that season at Duke. That was more impressive than watching the UConn women up close when Brianna Stewart was there and Geno's running the deal. And you can see how demanding he is up close, sitting in the Hartford Civic Center, or it's now called the XL Center, and watching them shoot 70% from the field. They'll win games by 50, 60 points, but I just marvel in the way that they play. And I heard it all the time with UConn women's hoops. It's bad for the sport that UConn's this kind of dominant, as if we would be talking about women's basketball on the radio regularly, if not for a team that dominant. UConn attracted attention to women's hoops, and I think did the sport a lot of good in doing so. The same for Ronda Rousey for the MMA when that sport was growing. Greatness and even dominance, it always has an audience. The storylines are better. Floyd Mayweather, unbeaten. You watch, you pay for a Floyd fight. Maybe you're rooting for Floyd, but there's a large faction that watches to see, are they going to be able to get him this time? There were NBA ratings records when LeBron joined Bosch and Wade for the Heat because there was an intrigue. Hey, what's it all going to look like? Wow, there's so much talent on the floor. Can somebody knock them off? Same thing when Kevin Durant joined the Warriors. Everybody painted it as a horrible, terrible thing because parody in sports. But I think what this playoffs is teaching us, I'd probably want one great team, one great dominant team rolling through the field versus having four good but not great teams. That's what we have in the NBA. We learned that last night. I thought Milwaukee had a chance to be a great team, but... When Mike Budenholzer vomits all over himself in in-game situations against Brooklyn a few times, and they come out with that poor effort. They were getting waxed by Atlanta before Giannis got hurt. Charles Barkley was calling them out at halftime. It's hard for me to say that's a great team. Phoenix not being able to close out to this point with Kawhi Leonard being injured on the other side. I, I don't see great teams. It's strange. I'd probably prefer last year's playoffs to this playoff. The Lakers, there wasn't a heck of a lot of drama. They got where they wanted to go, and the best team was crowned. We're beyond the point where we want underdogs, I think. I love March Madness. It's probably my favorite month of the year. But there comes a point in the tournament I don't want to see St. Bonaventure play anymore. I'm not wanting to see the little guy play on that stage. I want to see the North Carolinas, the Dukes, the Kansases of the world. That's what I want. I want to see the most talented teams play. And the NBA, for all the guff, to use a Robert Walsh word, that they receive for being too predictable. Oh, you know who's going to win every single year. What that guarantees you is a terrific Conference final, a terrific NBA finals. And I don't know if we're going to get that this year with the teams that are presented to us. But 
considering the current state of all four teams really remaining, I can't help but imagine how the Lakers and Nets are feeling right now watching. How sick they must be. LeBron thinking, if AD was just a little bit healthier, I would be on my way. I'd be in the finals right now. I'd have some rest waiting for the other series to wrap up, and I'd be having my fifth straight, my, my fifth NBA championship here. I'd be one away from Michael Jordan. And Brooklyn, we saw what they did in games one and two against Milwaukee. Then Kyrie Irving gets hurt. James Harden what, didn't even play in games one and two. If they're together, they're thinking that they're already holding the trophy up. And that's okay. Because you know the best team won in the end. Parody in sports, it's overrated. I watched The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. I used to watch American Idol. William Hung is that bad singer that sang Ricky Martin that became an internet sensation, one of the early internet sensations. I don't want that guy in the final four of the American Idol, right? I, I, I don't want the headaches on The Bachelor and Bachelorette going to hometowns. It's not what I'm looking for. I'm done with the Atlanta Hawks. With all due respect, I'm done with the Hawks who were vying back and forth with the Hornets who in the beginning of March... We were having real conversation whether or not Atlanta or Charlotte was a better basketball team. That, that team shouldn't be playing for a championship. I don't think they should, but this year's been weird. And I don't think it's been as good because, just because, you have three other teams that are right in line with each other. Four teams that are in line with each other. I'd rather have one great dominant team than three good teams. 